subhanAllah. Even though that's the opposite of what we thought we would accomplish some, through some of these, you know, addictive acting out habits, let's say, that could become that, right? But uh, I, I think those are really two powerful, important um, mechanisms that you're mentioning here, Jordan. So perhaps when we, we could essentialize why men typically, and this is a common from my experience too, just from the people who, men who come to work with me, you know, it's, you know, and I hear it from women a lot, like there's problems with, you know, um, exposure to illicit material online, or it's like the guy is like always, it's like they complain about their husband, like it's their yep. teenager who yep. won't get off the video game or the computer, right? So what's happening here is number one, intimacy. Remember, it's about closeness, safety, connection. The opposite of that is disconnection, right? So the opposite of addiction is actually connection, if you use that framing, right? And so if I'm not getting intimacy or fulfillment or value or worth or purpose or my highest potential is being accomplished or validated or appreciated, right? And even if it's not my highest potential, it's just what I'm doing right now isn't being acknowledged or appreciated or valued or I feel worthy enough to keep going, right? Because it's, it's hard. A lot of times, even women think, oh, men don't need emotional support, right? And so they may sometimes play a role in our um, depletion. And furthermore, because men don't know how to ask, or they they think it would be, you know, weak and pathetic to be vulnerable or be, see, you know, honey, I really need some support, or I'm feeling low, or, you know, I need some confidence boosters. It's like, well, that's a hard thing for a lot of men. So the world of pornography and the world of video gaming does a couple of things for any human psychology, but perhaps specifically for men, we're drawn to it because it does give us, like you said, senses of, for number one, engaging with a reality that we have seemingly more power or control over, right? Because the opposite of that is anxiety and fear. When I don't have predictability or power and control, over something that makes me feel helpless. So we humans are constantly living a story, the life story, the world story, and interpreting the story. So we're constantly making meaning. And the world of gaming or even film is just a different way of storytelling today. And what's fun about gaming is you actually can be a director of the story, right? You can control it. You can play it basically, right? And it alters what you see and what, what happens. You can interact with people and have different relationships in the online world that you couldn't necessarily accomplish on the in the scene world, right? Or the real world, so to speak. And the world of pornography does many similar things, right? It's a world where the masculine energy can feel totally empowered. The feminine, you know, conforms and validates and gives him what he wants. No questions asked, no complaining, no, you know, alternative motives. It's just about your desire and escapism and false fulfillment. But this actually ends up leaving most men more depleted, right? Especially when they have an upset, depleted woman on the other side of their, you know, current escapism mechanism, right? But I think that those themes are pretty strong in both of these outlets, you know, storytelling, power over the story, uh, shaping the meaning for how I want it to, you know, uh, give myself value, um, a sense of control, predictability, and purpose and value that is sometimes difficult to accomplish um, in the world. And again, this isn't not all guys who are unemployed and they don't have a job and they're, they're barely paying the rent. These are also men that are crushing it successfully on paper when it comes to the success points of the dunya, right? It's like the guy has a house and two kids and three cars and, uh, you know, and makes good money, but 
he still, this is his personal state. So that's important also uh, as my closing note on that feedback. I think that's something that's a very important point to bring up that it's it's not just the stereotypical, you know, people like to say the guy who lives in his mom's basement, right? That's not the, not not often the case. It's a lot of times it's somebody who you would look up from the outside looking in, you think, oh man, he's, he's the man. So, and there's an interesting uh, uh, component to this and I, and I think there's something that you said that really that really hits home in our time that men are often asked to do the impossible and I think women are in, in a different way but you said that right that we as men we have these emotional needs but we're not allowed to show them and while women they want us to do that there's often there's also this component from the feminine that's like uh you know not too much though you know don't uh it's kind of like this impossible task of you have to be emotional and be romantic in these things, but I don't, I don't need you to be too vulnerable with me because I, I, you, you know what I mean? There's this sort of like, why do you think that is? Why do you think that is? Or what, what's your experience of that? Like, in other words, when is it too much and why does that perhaps serve as maybe a turnoff for the feminine and your estimation? Well, you know what I think it is? I think it comes down to, um, a man, being rooted in his essential nature. Why is it that there's a certain level of emotional intimacy and emotional vulnerability that is a, we could say it's a turn on for women, but then there becomes a certain point where it's like, okay, now this is a turn off. And I think if I had just reflecting on that, I think this, the reason for when this becomes a turn off is when the man is or the male he's not rooted in his in his essential nature and what i mean by that is that when he is not confident he's not sure of himself he doesn't know who he is and he almost kind of starts to exhibit the behavior of a child right like you said before a lot of women they feel like i just have another teenager to take care of in the house and the feminine doesn't it does not need a, a a male adult partner like that. The masculine is supposed to protect and uh, uplift the feminine, and the feminine is supposed to do the same for the male as well, as well in a different way. But that's what I, that's where I think that comes into play here is is that you know we have Sarat al Mustaqim, we have the straight path in our Dean, right, and and that path is is narrow. And it's like a tightrope in a lot of ways. And if we fall too far to, the, to one side or the other, then we can kind of get ourselves into trouble. So that's what, where I think that comes in is, is, is this man, is this person not really rooted in his manliness? And so when he's not, his vulnerability and his emotional, his emotionality, it starts to kind of have this boyish energy. And that's where I think it, it starts to become a problem for the, for the feminine. Yeah. Perhaps even sometimes the male un, unreal, you know, unwillingly regresses into some kind of a childlike state in himself. So he almost relates to the wife feminine as the as the kind of uh, mother. Yes. Right. And so sometimes we do play out, you know, stored and lodged emotional charges and energy from past relationships in current ones, especially if they have, you know, associative or character traits that remind us of a person that we haven't really found Full yes. closure or healing with, let's say a, a parent, right? So 
But it's interesting because that, on that point, you know, my humble opinion is one of the core essential needs from my research and direct experience of the feminine is they're looking for, you know, strength, security, commitment, you know, protection, provision, providing in different ways, not just financial, from the masculine. And so when, when she feels that the masculine is unsure of himself in those matters, how is she going to feel secure, right? In other words, how are you, like if I hired a bodyguard, because I'm, you know, someone wants to take me out. But my own bodyguard is like, yeah, I don't know if I can do this, man. Or, you know, uh, do you th- are you sure I'm the right guy for this? And it's like this huge, you know, seven foot dude, right? Yeah. And, you know, Debo or whatever. And I'm, he's, I'm like, Debo, you can do this, man. You know, come on. You're a professional. You got credentials and you've been doing this a long time. And he's just having one of those days where he's just breaking down, right? And, you know, yeah. and I'm not going to feel confident with him being a bodyguard. And he's, a, and he's also another man who's specifically hired for this job. And so in some way, a woman sees you also as a bodyguard in that sense, right? And again, this isn't about like, oh, women are so fragile and they can't do anything without men. That's not where I'm coming from. But let's face it, physically, men are needed, mm-hmm. you know? Absolutely. And, and the reality is if men decided to, you know, if we all decided to go for a physical wrestling match with all the women, you know, we're going to end up winning, you know, yeah, and and, and, and so the point <laughs> is that, like, you know, there is a type of leverage that men are responsible for having and also are responsible if they use it wrongfully. Right. And that's the test. Right. And that's why Allah tells us in the Quran, you know, you are caretakers of women and I am caretaking both of you. But also that Allah is saying to the man and I'm your boss. Right. In other words, you're yes. going to report directly to me. So if you use any of your God given talents or strengths you know, harmfully or not according to the prophetic way of manliness, this is a problem. And this is typically usually what happens when we see destruction in relationships or, you know, distorted damaging activities. And the worst is when people are doing it in the so-called name of their religion, right? Or understanding yes, of it, right? Absolutely. So that's that's horrifying because I've heard many women, you know, almost lose their deen or even make statements about men in general which would include all the prophets of Allah, by the way, right? When they're so hurt by some activities of some masculine energy, right? Or even they've heard about it, right? And so it's very challenging because humans are extremely sensitive, fragile, needy, dependent creatures. All of us are, right? Yeah. So we don't realize the, you know, the, let's say the amplification of damage caused by even just a statement or a lack of activity around something as basic as, talking to your spouse or children every day, just as like a nice human being, right? And that was sunnah, the prophet would do that. He never walked in the house and ignored everybody, right? So there was always some connection and seeing what's going on. He even knew when one of his, um, the children in his home, his pet died and he was sad and he acknowledged, he's like, saw him. He's like, you look sad, what happened? And he's like, oh, my parakeet died. And, and you know, it's like, he's the messenger of Allah. He's the only man on earth who has the right to say, I don't have time for this. <laughs> But he still did have time for it because that's what it means to be a man is you make time for what is most valuable and important and putting first things first, which is, you know, uh, another discussion. But it's also a value that is important to, to, to name at this point. We understand that at, my, at our very core, my value and my identity is ultimately the fact that I'm connected to my creator in a very real and profound way. You know, my Lord created me for a reason. 
He knows the number of hairs on my head. He made me with the temperament that I have. He, he, that temperament that I have, he made me tall. He made me short. He made me thin. He made me maybe a little bit more, uh, husky. Right. And there's nobody else in the world that can take my place. Right. And this is our essential nature as an individual, right? That I am this vicegerent of God. I am this rep it is in the Quran, right? I'm going to make a vicegerent. Allah tells the angels. And this is where I think we've been missing the boat on our masculinity because I see responses to, especially from young men to feminism, to the, to the issues that men are facing by kind of going back to this sort of regressive masculinity that we're talking about where yes, you know, maybe at one time it was good, you know, and there's certain elements to it that are good as well. Being a protector, being a person who's brave and courageous, willing to give their life for the tribe, give their life for the family. That, those are actually, those are wonderful traits that we should all imbibe. But on this, at the same time, we as human beings, we, we are more capable. We are capable of more than just that. You know, there's this phrase in San El Camel, right? The, the universe, the, the perfect man, the universal man. And the Prophet is just that. He, he embodies that bravery. He embodies that selflessness. But at the same time, he's also sensitive. He's also caring. Kemal also kind of means like he's a complete package of the masculine, feminine, you know, harmonious yin and yang powers and distributed in its proper form, perhaps, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think we all, we all have, we were, we're none of us are the prophets, but we inherit a little bit of that capability from him. And I think that when we understand that, look, my value, my strength, my worth come from my connection to my Lord come from my connection to Allah Ta'ala, then I think that's a, that's a big game changer. But I think there's a lot of, uh, unpro there's a lot of uh, learning and, and sort of deprogramming that has to happen before anybody can get to that point. Because, you know, in a lot of our cultures, like you said, and I, and I, I married into a, you know, my wife is, uh, her, her mother was an African immigrant. And, and this is very common in, in other immigrant communities as well, being so concerned about what others think right? Like my value comes from outside validation. Like, oh, you know, my son is a doctor, my son is this, or my daughter's this. Whereas it's like, yeah, there's a component of that, that, you know, I should be doing my best to fulfill my responsibilities. But, but ultimately at the end of the day, my value comes from this fact that I am connected to Allah, that I was created by him. And so I think that's a really powerful thing. And when a man is rooted in that knowledge, in a, he's able to he's able to be a vice and he's able to to fulfill that role of a man that you mentioned in the Quran where he's the protector and the maintainer of the woman without without treating her like she's a second class citizen right without treating her like she's this you know this child essentially which i think has been a problem in the past but yeah um, i'm kind of hearing you say to kind of essentialize your sum, to summarize your points is there's almost like, at least from our worldview, there's a prescriptive masculinity that comes from the divine design and order that we can use as a reference. And that gives us, again, a spectrum. It's like masculinity is on a bell curve. There isn't just one way to be a man, but there are common ways to be a man, right? And so when you're just completely separate from all of the archetypes and, and cross-cultural pegging of what it means to be a man, then 
you know, it's just a different, that's a different discussion, right? But the point here is that, you know, uh, prescriptive masculinity, there is kind of like a divine order, just like the purpose of humankind is to know and worship and serve the divine more than anything else. Now, descriptive purpose and meaning is where Jordan, Kareem, Mary, and Sally personalize what it means to be a man and a woman in their context, in their situation, their family, and what it means to uh, be a worshiper of the divine in, in the same, right? So that's why there's always an individual process to this collective calling, if you will. And, um, you know, just to give you an example of that is like, all right, when we say masculine man, some, a lot of people may picture the gladiator, you know, the, the sports meathead jock type dude, right? But what about the Bill Gates guy, you know, like, because if you think about it, you know, two common qualities of, of, of uh, masculine energy and cross-cultural is there's the warrior archetype, there's strength and vitality and, you know, kind of somatic mastery, right? You're good at, you know, using your body. That's why men typically are into physical activities and systems and competition, right? That's all very known to be very masculine, right? Qualities, right? And so what about the guy who didn't do any of that, but he has the abstract, systematic, engineering, highly focused you know, mind that created Apple and Microsoft and Tesla, right? And so forth, right? It's like, that's a different type of masculine energy. But in high school, he would have been the geek, nerd, dweeb, never going to get a girl table, right? But today he is, you know, according to many women, a real awesome man too, right? Because he's, you know, contributed and brought value and fulfilled his purpose, but he's not able to lift or bench 200 pounds or, you know, get, uh, you know, make a bunch of touchdowns. But again, it's all relative. And so that's why it's also important for couples listening to remember that if your man is, you know, a full man to you, then you don't need him to be like anybody else or any other, you know, zeitgeist cultural expression of that if you're happy and fulfilled with your woman or your man then that means your masculine feminine exchange is working for you and how do you know if it's working for you if your relationship feels like it's a self-generating cycle of giving and receiving neither of you feel more resentment than you do fulfillment and you wanna you're both still eager and willing to be in the job of being married to this person right that's at least a simple way to kind of perhaps tie it all together for me. What are your thoughts about yeah. that, Jordan? I think that's, that's excellent. That's a, that's a great description. And I think, um, this is extremely important for us to realize as, as men. Um, when you were talking about the archetypes of masculinity and us as individuals imbibing and manifesting our little slice of that masculinity, right? The, of that, of that masculine energy, letting it flow through me in a unique way. Like I'm a prism and the light is going to flow through me and I'm going to refract it in my own unique way. And one thing I wanted to mention is, you know, every, every Muslim wants to be like Omar, Ibn al-Khattab, right? He's the, he's the paragon. He's that war. He is that warrior, wonderful model to aspire to. He's that fiery, choleric, absolutely courageous, no fear, just, you know, a real man's man, right? If anybody, if you could pick anybody out of the Sahaba, anhum, who are that imbibe that like real, like masculine ideal that most men want to aspire to, like that action hero, like gladiator, war hero kind of archetype, he's the guy. But the, the issue that you just brought up, not every man is created that way. 
yeah, what about Uthman? Uthman, he was very modest and more bashful, more, you know, you know, had a different way of, of you know. So, but yeah, continue with your point, because it is important for men out there to recognize it's not about we, we Jordan and I want everyone to be like me and him or, or our specific type. But there are things that are part of yeah. the science and art of being a man, let's say. Absolutely. That we're trying to explore. And I think the, the biggest point here for men, and, and this is something we have to really learn, is that self is self-knowledge and honest self-knowledge. And to say, look, like if we start from the point where I know a lot that Tala created me, then he had wisdom and he had a reason for creating me the way he created me. And maybe my father was like Omar. Maybe my father was like this brave, strong, forceful, dominant energy that I saw growing up. And maybe I wasn't like that. Maybe I'm more like Uthman. Maybe I'm more like Ali or Abu Bakr. Right? And that's okay. We have to accept the fact that, look, like, as individuals, I am the way I am, and that doesn't make me less of a man than so-and-so who, you know, he joined the military or he's the captain of the football team or whatever whatever else he might be traditionally that we associate with masculinity. But maybe I'm more like a Bill Gates or a, or a uh, Elon Musk. Or maybe, exactly. You know, and the Ummah didn't didn't succeed unless because it, it succeeded because we had that variation of masculine and feminine companions right who all played different roles you also had for example it wasn't common but you also had muslim women who are actual warriors on the like fighting with you know swords and shields just and arrows and so forth right just like archers just like the men but the majority of women were doing nursing and you know holding down the tents and taking care of the injured or making sure the kids who are with them are safe so everyone has a role to protect to provide to perceive you follow? And, I, and one model I like to give couples is the powerful peace. It's like both male and female provide and protect and perceive and preserve, you know, and persist in values. But it's, it's going to be a different form of it. But ultimately, as Allah says in Surah Al-Layl, the male and female, you know, temperaments, sometimes our drives are different or the way we're going to get to the same spot is different. But ultimately, Allah says, but those of you who are sincere and have ihsan and strive for, you know, what is true, good and beautiful, you're going to be okay, basically, right? So don't make it a gender thing, ultimately. Make it a human consciousness thing, which I think is very important in our time, and it always has been, right? And lastly, I just want to say, it's not always, Jordan, about making something new in order for it to be better, or making something old no longer good. It's always about what is more true, good, and beautiful. And sometimes it does require us to do what tradition dictates. And sometimes it's about refining one tradition a different way a little bit. Sometimes it's about replacing or modifying more so. So this is important because it's not, no, no system has all, all of it. You know, there's always pros and cons for every approach of anything, right? And so that's why it's also important for people to take into mind, you know, if you live in California or New York, you and your wife are, you know, lived all your lives in America, for example, or were born here, even if you have immigrant parents, your culture as a person is very different from trying to replicate what worked for my parents and grandparents back in Africa, India, or Asia, right? Or wherever, right? So that's important too for people to recognize almost this, um, I want to say conscious agency and ever evolving process of 
you know, pretty much everything, right? but specifically this concept of becoming a better version of oneself and certainly how that would look in a relationship. Yes. So. Um, this, and I, and I want to kind of comment on this discussion in a, in a larger way now with, uh, with this concept of tarbia, right? We have this concept of tarbia, this sort of re- refining education that we have in our religion. It's a big part of our religion. And I think that the, the topics that we're speaking about today, these are things that they must play a very in- central role in modern tarbia and developing people to be whole and holistic and real in the modern time, in the age that we're living in now. Because it's a very challenging age for, for men and women. It's, it's challenging no matter who you are. And I think a lot of us as Muslims, like we, we are sort of uh, caught up in that sort of tradition, right? We're caught up in the old ways of doing things sometimes. And I think we have to, you know, there's a, there's a saying among, you know, there's a saying, right? The Sufi, the, uh, you know, I don't know if we can, sometimes people say it's a bad word, but I like the word. The Sufi is the son of his time, right? The one who is, and I, and I, would, I would define Sufi as a person who's striving for closeness to God, right? If a person who's on that, on that path, whether or not they call themselves that or they're in a tariqa or anything like that, doesn't matter. If they're striving for that nearness to their creator, I would call them a Sufi. And the true Sufi, the one who is, who has now, gotten to a certain point where people would say, oh, this is a righteous man or righteous woman. They respond to the time that they're in, in in an appropriate way. Uh, In the past, for instance, we, we, uh, if you read the old Sufi books, it was like, you have to be really hard on your nafs and you have to, you know, limit your sleep a certain amount of time and you can only eat this much. But if we were to eat one loaf of bread, like uh, Imam al-Ghazali says in his uh, Ihya al-Madin, we would, we would probably die of like protein deficiency or like uh, we would have so much vitamin deficiency, our bones would be weak. And we live in a unique time with unique challenges. So I think there's this, uh, as Muslims, understanding who we are and accepting this is the way that Allah Ta'ala has created my situation now is extremely important for us because you, you talked about narratives, right? You talked about the importance of stories. And if my story, if I'm trying to kind of fit this story that I took from my father and my, or my, or my family, and I'm trying to fit it into my life now, that's going to be problematic. So I need to, I need to make sure that my story fits correctly with the situation that I'm in, because maybe I'm if I'm working from home, maybe I have to take care of the kids more now. Right. Maybe my wife works out of the home and I work from home. Maybe I become the primary caregiver. And that doesn't make me less of a man. If I'm right. It, but it makes you more of a man in that you are fulfilling, putting first things first. Right. So if your if your wife becomes a brain surgeon and makes, you know, 10 times your, your salary and it's the more practical, what's best for the family move. Right. For your wife to be working and you to watch the kids. Why wouldn't that be like that would be that's a great point on how 
are you still fulfilling masculinity there? And it's like, yes, if the def- if you see masculinity as not just being the way your dad was, no matter uh, you know, no matter what kind of thing, right? It's like, no, this is impossible. I can't be home because I don't care if you make you know ten times more money. It's like, no, a real man would actually consider what's best for the family and recognize and work on whatever insecurities that may cause him. And if it's something he can't handle for a year or two, then he actually figures out a way where, you know, there's a new dynamic, right? Because that's what a man does, is he also has to problem solve and be innovative, even when he thinks he can't solve it. A man doesn't fear that, right? He finds ways. That's what it means to have courage. You do something despite being scared, or you try something despite being scared. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's a really, I'm I'm so happy you made that point, because I think it's become very popular, a very popular message among content creators who are trying to uplift men and help men it's become a popular message where it's like no you need to really go back to this sort of like manly man sort of stuff which is cool again i i mean i like i go hunt i mean, I, I went out hunting a few times this year i you know i used to play i used to be an athlete and all this stuff i'm all about that's that sort of traditional masculine behavior that that are constructive i think those are great things but i think we also have to understand from a spiritual perspective as Muslims that, look, if Allah Ta'ala puts me in a situation, I need to respond accordingly. And if it means, like you said, hey, I'm going to be the one at home with the kids for a few years, I have to do the best job I can possible. And that makes me more of a man. If I do it with the right intention, I do it in the right way, and I overcome the issues that are attached to that, I'll, I'll become stronger than I was. So I think exactly. it's extremely important that we have nuance when we talk Which about. Which is tarbiya. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> right. You're 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 now trying to increase, nurture, grow, right? Mm-hmm. In the perspect in the matters that you need to to accomplish what you need to accomplish. That's tarbiya. Yes. Right? It's to you know form and fashion yourself uh, in the way that you need for the purposes that you desire. Absolutely, absolutely, and and. Uh, I think the biggest the biggest thing though is the question that that I'm coming up with now is how can we how do you how do we help other men get to a point of self reflection where they can now truly imbibe uh, rujula they can truly imbibe a real holistic manliness how do we how do we do that well we can talk about how we one or two steps we can start but it's uh... I, I can't answer that as a full thing, right? Because <laughs> yeah. that's a, it's a big it's question. many, many things and many, many men out there. But I think the first step is self-awareness. Um, number one, men out there, listen to stuff like shows like this, follow Jordan, you know, men who are trying to intentionally support the masculine wherever they are, right? So join support groups or men's groups. Um, this is something I've been in. I conducted for many years on the ground um, and I plan to maybe try one this year online just to see how that goes because of the same reason, Jordan, right? It's like men need a place to just talk about work, sexuality, purpose, you know, confidence without, you know, feeling judged. And a lot of men, they also don't have, they don't talk as readily to family members as let's say many women do, right? They really, and they don't even share a lot of things with their closest friends, right? Because men are men in that way, right? And so, that's, um, I think the first thing is number one, recognize where you're not alone if you're struggling, 
right? Number two, um, you're, you have some solidarity because there are men out there feeling the same way. And I've heard it, like when I go to the park with my kids, Jordan, and I just talk to the random dad whose kids are also there playing around. I mean, I hear this from men just random guys. They're like talking about core raw masculinity and like how they're look, they're do pr things to, to revive this and that. And these are just like the, the everyday American dads yeah. I see at the park. Like they're also like, yeah, our society, we're craving this, yes. you know, we're looking for these primal, you know, nourishing, but healthy ways to still be us because they even recognize with the waves of feminism, which is basically trying to, let's say, recalibrate a lot of the, you know, um, unhealthy forms of family and societal expectations around gender previously. But it, it, it basically, a lot of men even feel like it went way, it swung way too far in the other end. And now they're trying to bring it back to the middle, which is something any Muslim should be a part of, right? Because we're a way of the middle. Whenever there's two po opposing extremes, the, the safest place to be is in the middle, because there's usually good in both extremes and also a lot of bad in extremes. So we can't, we try to take the good and be in the middle, right, as much as possible, or work with the lesser evils of the extremes. So this is the first tip. The second tip is, mashallah, you have access to books and videos and podcasts and, you know, even people you can get mentoring or consulting with, right? Go access these resources as much as possible. And a lot of it is free. You don't have to pay. Read a book. Um, I recommend a couple of books. You can read Ash-Shama'l al-Muhammadiyah, which they have in English. You know, the descriptions of the Prophet's character and creation, you know. There's also two volumes in English called uh, Our Master Muhammad by Abu Bakr Sirajuddin. You can find it on Amazon. Those are wonderful. Uh, I would also recommend The Way of the Superior Man by David Data. Uh, that's also a nice book for kind of an intro to some of these um, archetypal universal masculine concepts. And there's other works like this, right? Kind of healthy, balanced men's work, let's say, that's not red pill, you know, women suck. And it's just the other extreme reaction to the extreme toxic feminism reaction, right? Of men suck and we don't need you. And basically, we're going to walk all over you and you can't do anything about it. Like that's an extreme of feminism. You know, not all feminists are, you know, they hate men right? Or they think men are useless or worthless. And they'll learn on their own how that's the wrong understanding eventually anyway. So I don't care. You know, you don't have to go out of your way when you know that's just like, it's like saying, well, fire is, is cold. It's like, well, enjoy your life with that. You know, you'll learn yourself. I don't need, God will be your professor there, you know? <laughs> so, you know, that's the, learn and tedbia, like Brother Jordan said, gentlemen, like go try to find forms of tedbia. And I would also really emphasize learning outside of the kind of Islamic contours of things, right? Because we always think, okay, I'm going to go just take another Islamic class. And sometimes it's with imams or even people who don't have basic human science or psychology or, or successful marriages themselves. So they're not people to necessarily go and, you know, learn some of these things about, right? And again, everybody's different. But my point is, is seek knowledge outside of, let's say, the Islamic branding of knowledge. Like, it's not like to improve as a human, everything has to be some Islamic class. It's like, go learn about intimacy, Go learn about codependency issues. Go learn about attachment styles and love languages and things. This is about improving your marriage, let's say. When it comes to masculine studies, you know, I, I gave you some examples to get started on there where you have inside and outside, let's say, perspectives and guidance. And you'll see yourself how a lot of truth and beauty is cross-cultural and how is it that this guy who has nothing to do with Islam 
is saying very similar things that the Prophet told us, right? It's like because it's universal truth. We all come from one source. And that's the beauty of perhaps true religion is you always, it helps you see the truth in all religions and people, places, and things because it's about God. It's not about my politics, my country, my race, my gender. It, should, it shouldn't be. And that's why I think a lot of people are, you know, having problems today because we're focused too much on what separates us and differentiates us rather than unifies us, which I would argue is a lot more than what we fixate on to separate. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think to go back to your points about, you know, red pill and MGTOW, it's like, or, or, or extreme feminists. So you're going to hate half of the population. <laughs> you're going to hate the whole other half of the human race. It just doesn't make any sense. And like you said, I think most, and in most people don't ascribe to these things anyway. The men, and, the regular everyday men and women that are just struggling through life, they don't hate their gender. They want to connect with women better. Women want to connect with men better. We, we just have to find better ways, I think, of doing that and putting our egos aside. And I think the big, po- the big point comes down to it is self-knowledge. I think self-knowledge, all the things that you just talked about of Tarbia, self-knowledge is a huge component to that. Reading about these things and learning how do I apply this knowledge to my own life. Um, you know, one thing I, a, re- a reflection that I had about manhood, I just wanted to share really quickly here is that, um, you know, the man, he takes an active role in his life, making choices about his career, education, his marriage, and other things, right? He consults others out of wisdom, but ultimately he makes his choices and puts forth the effort. He takes an honest account of his flaws and his inner illnesses, and he takes the proper action to fix them. He can be shown the path, but he has to walk down it himself. So this is an extremely, I think, important aspect of of true rujula. We have to take ownership of our lives. We have to take ownership of our situations and take the steps necessary to get to where we want to be. And I think a huge component of that is that it's it's just knowledge. Knowledge has a huge place in our religion. And uh, the Prophet ﷺ, I don't know if this is an authentic hadith or not, but a lot of people quote it, is, uh, you know, seek knowledge even, you know, even as far as China, right? There's a certain... A sacredness that all knowledge has, and as you mentioned, you know Allah Taala, He is uh, He is Al Hakim, you know He is the one who wisdom flows from. So it just makes sense that we're going to find wisdom outside of the quote of the traditional Islamic channels that you mentioned, right? There is so much more wisdom out there that we can benefit from as Muslims, as believers, that it doesn't have that sort of Islamic stamp on it, quote unquote, right? Outwardly, outwardly at least. So. Um, in terms of self-knowledge, I think uh, one thing I think is really beneficial has been for me is learning about the four temperaments, right? This uh, sort of proto-psychology that has a place in our tradition Islamically, but also it's really big within the Catholic tradition is uh, understanding what's my inherent makeup, right? Like how do I, just by the way I was created, how, how what's what are my natural strengths and weaknesses? And this has been a really big uh, benefit for me. And I'll put... Um, I'll put some resources in the the link below, uh, and I'll put it in the link in this in this podcast on my SoundCloud here. And uh, but I, I guess I, if you could comment on a little bit about those avenues of self knowledge that you find beneficial, it would be really uh, really great to hear too, Zidi Kareem. Sure. So besides you know learning and researching actual content that's out there, I think finding knowledge through connections of other men 
is also very important, you know, so support groups, um, you know, if you and your brother, let's say, barely talk, right, and you live in the same house, like, that would be a good place to focus, right? It's like, well, I don't even know how to have intimacy with my own brother or father, so let me start there, and then I'll work forward with Jimmy and Mahmoud, you know, who are my buddies, right? If that's, you know, one way to think about it, right? Um, and so, <clears throat> uh, sorry, can you, what was the, the question again? Was how to... Yeah. Yeah, so self self-knowledge, yeah. So so self-knowledge also we get a lot of self-knowledge through intimacy because through the very channel of connection, closeness, sharing with another human being, right? Despite even gender, you get some self-knowledge from that, right? Cuz it's like uh, let's take a simple example that we all can relate to. It's like I like Mary, you know, and I'm afraid to let Mary know that I like her because there's a vulnerability there. I'm afraid of being rejected or I'm afraid she won't like me. Even if she does like me, she may not like me as much as I like her, right? So that's self-knowledge right now. Now, once I express it to Mary somehow and turns out she likes me too, and she likes me similar to how I like her, what happens here is me, the subject, so let's say, you know, Larry, Larry was insecure about his self-knowledge, about this very significant item he's relating to in himself. I like Mary. I don't know if she'll like me back. Then turns out Mary likes me back. So now Larry feels self-affirmed um, in his, his own self-knowledge that I like a woman who's not completely out of my league. Like I'm not unrealistic or you know what I mean? Like out of, out of orbit here. So that means like, okay, like I'm, I have some decent semblance of myself and reality in myself because turns out I wasn't, you know, right? And then I also get another validation because what I liked likes me back, which means not only am I more assured of myself, but I'm also assured through the other person, right? Because they're saying, I like you too, call me, right? Or let's have lunch together. So it's like double validation and self-knowledge. So this is, let's say, the power when you connect with people and you like you think something is crazy and you've been thinking about it for weeks and you sit down with your bunch of friends or family and you're able to voice and they're like, no, actually, we all agree. And you feel that solidarity. The isolation and alienation goes down, which means you have less likelihood of, you know, acting out or damaging relations because humans are social beings. We need a sense of belonging and bonding, which is why we need the intimacy. So anything which promotes concepts of bonding, cooperation, you know, um, brotherhood and, and uh, togetherness, connection, safety, for being more of my authentic self, you become more self-aware. Now, that doesn't mean it's always going to be pretty, but part of self-knowledge and self-awareness is Confidence, Always, people always ask me, how do I get more confident? Confidence is one way to understand it. It's in knowing I have enough for what is scary or challenging right now to get through it. And I'm going to, dang it, I'm going to try at least. Because even if I don't succeed, I still have confidence from learning more about my own mistakes or what I still need to learn about. Because again, anytime someone tells you, this is, you know, you can't fix a car and you're like, I don't get it. I've tried everything. And then it's like, oh, you need to do this. Change the alter, you know, the alternator belt. It's like, oh my God, I didn't see it that way. Now that I see what's wrong, I actually feel empowered and don't need courage anymore. I can just get it done, right? Because it's like, oh, the lights are on. Boom, here it is. So that's why it's important to engage and relate to others outside of your bubble that you live in, right? Because you need fresh water 
to come into your own stream of consciousness to improve self-knowledge, right? And uh, experience and reflection of your own life, especially your past life, I think is the last point I'll give for today to help in self-knowledge. A lot of people, Jordan, don't actually stop and think, how did I get to where I am today? Not just like where I live and what job I have, but why am I the way I am? Why do I have automated, you know, reactions to things versus central responses to things? Why do I get very angry or sensitive around specific items in my life or relationship versus others? These are always moments that Allah's triggering or setting off an alarm bell for the self to go, hey, this keeps happening. Do you want to take a look at this now? Or have you considered that this is a serious thing that isn't just going to go away because the last 10 times you said you won't do it again? Now you're here on the 11th time, right? And so self-awareness is also just being more attentive to your own experiences and their effects, right? And those closest to you, listen to their feedback and always assume at least 50% of what people close to you tell you is actually true, Yeah. right? Or else you're not going to get anywhere because you now will become a dogmatic, closed-minded, prideful, even narcissistic person possibly, right? Because yeah. it's like, no, I do no wrong. I see no flaws. It's always you. And so that's not going to get to growth in Tedibia, no. not at all. Right. By definition. No. But uh, yeah, that's my um, those are my tips for now. Jordan. Do you think those will be a good, helpful start? I think that's a wonderful start. And uh, just to comment on your last point there, you know, if we just push everybody away by always denying our wrongdoing soon enough, we'll have nobody around to, you know, I've seen it time and time again where uh, my, my, my wife is a nurse, you know, and she tells me stories where she sees the, these old people on their deathbed and nobody comes to see them. And it's not always the case that they were bad people in life or they treated their family like dirt. But oftentimes that that does happen where if you have been this tyrant your whole life, when it when it matters most, nobody wants to nobody wants to see you. And this is something that does happen. So it it is heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. But you know, I think also the point that you're mentioning that's extremely important that um that I need to emphasize more is that is that that suhba, that companionship with other men, meaningful, meaningful, healthy companionship. And you know, oftentimes the the things that we are that we think, the thoughts that we think, or the the things that we have in our hearts, a lot of times other people feel the same way, and they want they want somebody to come and tell them that they feel that way too. So we should be the ones to start these things and say, hey, have you thought about this? I mean, I had the, I had a very pleasant experience a few weeks ago with some brothers who I really, really respect. And I, I kind of mentioned subtly a, a thought that I had and they just all of a sudden picked up on it. They're like, Oh yeah. Like, and we just were totally on the same page and it was just so, it was so rewarding and so uh, wonderful to have that connection. And that's an example, by the way, men of Jordan being vulnerable. In other words, he's opening up his authentic feelings or ideas about something without fear of judgment or rejection, because that's what it means to have that courage in that moment. And it turns out Jordan People were like, oh my God, we all felt the same. And subhanAllah, this happens so so much more often than we think because everyone's too scared to voice their true authentic self because it doesn't fit into the external branding of what it means to be whatever, right? A man or an American or an Arab or Desi or Muslim. And so it's like, oh, no, 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 we don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to... Basically, the it's, it's actually well known in, in social psychology and research that humans are more prone to go along with the group, even if it goes against their instincts or their intellect, because it's more important to have belonging than alienation, even if you feel right. Now, that's true sometimes, 
for sure, right? You need to actually be the loner, like, you know, that's something we find with the prophets, for example, you know, it's like, it's not always about what's popular. However, this is an instinct in us that will blind us to following the truth or listening to ourselves because it's so important to be part of uh, a group or tribe or uh, belonging. That's why it starts to, you start to see this play out even in school. It's like, I don't care if I'm the, I'll play whatever role I need to just so I can be a member of this crew. Because I don't want to sit alone at the lunch table and be called names anymore, right? And that's a real thing. So it starts even from there, right? Like, where do you fit in the hierarchy of being and the social hierarchy of being, more importantly? So thank you so much for your bringing your expertise and your knowledge and your experience to this conversation. Uh, our conversations in the past have been extremely important for my own development as an individual. So I want to personally thank you again for that as well. And I hope that our listeners today uh, found some value in our conversation. And I hope a lot of the men out there and the women out there too, you know, that they know that they're not alone, that we're all, we're all human beings. We're in this together. And we all, a lot of us are going through the same issues, the same problems. It's not unique. You know, the, the problems in your marriage are oftentimes not unique to you there's something that everybody's going through and the problem of feeling isolated or anxious or, or not worthy or these other things that that's something that other people go through too. And so I think this men's group that you're talking about, hopefully that will uh, be a, provide a, a huge amount of not only just relief for men, but a catalyst for us as men to really uh, imbibe true mass true masculinity, uh, rujula, prophetic manliness, inshallah ta'ala. Inshallah, inshallah. And thank you, Jordan, for having me on, and may Allah give you success with your project, and uh, I look forward to future collaborations with you as well in this uh, topic. And uh, yeah, I hope also people benefited from our discussion, and uh, if there was, it's from Allah Azawajal, and if there's any confusion or mistakes, we ask Allah to pardon us for that. Um, we're only human, but we're trying, and that's the point, is we're all, we all gotta just give it our best shot <laughs> while we can. Uh, that's it. Because what else can you do? SubhanAllah. So thank you for Jordan for this uh, invitation, and uh, Allah bless you and your efforts as well. I mean, thank you so much, Didi Kareem. Assalamu alaikum. 